Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined, as always, by Jeremy Scott, the voice of CinemaSins. Hello. And Barrett Scher, music video Sins writer. Hi. Hey, what's up? What's up, guys? Um, There was a movie that came out recently, guys, that uh, got a wave of critical acclaim that uh, then, after the weekend was over, got a C-plus cinema score from audiences. And I had to watch this movie for myself, and that movie is called The Witch. Ah, or as or as you know, uh, a lot of people are calling it the Vavitch because the it's two V's. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I stumbled through uh, a previous podcast uh, saying I don't know whether I like this movie or not. I think I'm just going to end up saying I don't like it. Awesome. Um, the movie has I I think an above eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it was eighty eight when I saw it the first wow. time. Um, and that's nearly universal appeal. Amazing. Um, I don't know where the critics lost their damn mind on this movie. Mm. Um, I I really do believe that, um, it is, uh, more boring than anything. There's hardly any scares in it. And uh, I just don't know what they were seeing. Uh, I have a question then. Yeah. Is it, is it because it's so anti modern horror I keep hearing this word dread. Like it's always, it's very dreadful. Like it fills you with dread, but it doesn't have the jump scares that the the typical uh, horror film does. Now you think going opposite on that, that that's why people are responding to it so well. There's no doubt that the difference between this movie and all of other modern horror movies definitely gave it a good jump. Um, like the, yeah, I mean, yeah, the sense of dread is one thing, but something happening also needs to, you know, needs to go on in the movie. To underscore um, what you're saying right now on Rotten Tomatoes, and as a clarification for anybody who wants to say Rotten Tomatoes is stupid, if you understand what Rotten Tomatoes is and how it works, then it's a useful meter. And it's at 89% with the critics, audience 52. Right. And, uh, and that's about right. Um, that it just, it, it, I don't, I think it was because it was so different from what we'd seen before. Uh, I mean, what we're seeing with most horror movies, which are a lot of jump scares and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's a way to make a movie filled with dread and then sort of make you fearful, um, and, and feel like anything can happen. But this is, this movie never really gets to that point where, uh, where you feel like anything can happen at any moment or anything. And, and, um, it's, it's just, uh, I, I think it's just boring more than it is anything else. Um, I, I just don't understand. I, I really don't understand it. I, I really do think, yeah, Barrett's onto something there. It's something that's completely different, uh, from what we've been seeing, but it, it just ultimately fails. It's not entertaining. What's interesting to me is that the people that I've seen that, really liked it like uh are super angry about people who don't <laughs> yeah like it's all it's one of the more vitriolic discussions it's a very divisive film i think yeah it really is and and i don't have a problem with people loving it or anything for whatever reason that they have for it but uh just for me personally um 
I I just don't I just don't see it. You know, I mean, there's the the movies that I always, the horror movies I've always liked are Halloween and The Shining, and those are the those are the two top ones for me. Uh, and obviously, uh, The Shining more than any movie set, sets that sense of dread more than anything, and things actually happen in it, and you think there's some danger involved and everything. And yeah, I guess The Witch does set the set the tone pretty early because you see it in the trailer. The baby gets kidnapped. Um, uh, but it, I don't know. That's one of, one of like three things that happen in the movie (laughs) and, uh, and it's hard, it, it's hard to really, it's hard to really, you know, the gaps are filled. There's another thing in that trailer that says, you know, I, it, it felt like something I shouldn't be watching. And the only thing that I can think of on that, I've discussed this with a couple of people. Um, the only thing I can think of is that there is a scene, there's a couple of scenes where the brother is looking at the older sister in a sexual way. And that is the only thing that I can think of about that movie where you're sitting there going, mm, I really shouldn't be watching this. Um, but it doesn't have much to do with the horror that's in the movie. So what do you th- I don't, I don't mean to get too granular about this, but like, what is, you mentioned the, the shining setting up a, a sense of dread. And since that's kind of like the, the, the lead with this movie with the witch, like, I don't think the shining really does. Like it's, it's kind of more of a uh, pervasive slow burn of just, um, I, I wouldn't say it's dreadful. Like it's, it's, it, it pops to me at uh, different times, but you know, is, is, is watching somebody just, it's what I equate to walk, watching the walking dead now is it's just goddamn dreadful. You know, it's just full of like awfulness. Yeah. And I don't like watching it anymore. I know people do, but it's just like, oh man, I this is just so hard to to really uh, get behind. For me, it might be a it might be a uh, difference of of, uh, of what we think dread means in this context. Um I think it means that we know that Jack Torrance has been a bad guy before he's abused his son and all that. And it looks like he's trying to have a fresh start and it looks like he want he's, he's trying to be a good person and all that. But the, the, you know, the loneliness and isolation of the, you know, the manner that they're in or whatever, uh, the hotel is making him into a, a horrible person. And that's what you dread during the movie. No, I get you. I get you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but that you, you, I mean, your your definition of it is um, is perfectly valid. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's the witch. The witch is is a movie that is uh, is just baffling to me. And maybe, like I said in the last time, maybe I'll have to watch it again, and I'll I'll really get it. But um, do you have any movies? Do you guys have any movies like that? I did not care for The Godfather. What? Did not care for The Godfather. It's just, like the perfect movie. I, this is what everyone always says. It insists upon itself. What does that even mean? Oh, well, I think I've talked about it before. Um, but you mean movies that people love but baffle me? Well, just that, you know, I guess so. Yeah, people people love, critics love, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, the, mo- the, the one I want to talk about most is, um, you know, Seinfeld beat me to it by about maybe 20 years, but it's the English patient. Um, <laughs> and when that movie came out, for those of you that weren't around or have never seen this movie or heard of it, it won all the Oscars, basically. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It, it won- was such, it was such a strange year too. It was like, the, that was the year of all the independent movies, basically. Yeah. And so 
these reviews are calling it sweeping and epic and romantic. And so I took a date, right? And it's three hours of boring adultery. Like <laughs> nobody's happy. There's nobody that's likable. It didn't feel romantic to me in the slightest. It, right. I mean, there were times where it was they had sex, but everybody's cheating on everybody. And it, that's, I don't know. It was just, uh, and it was so long and the girl never went out with me again. And so I actively hate this movie. My favorite was the, uh, not to go back to Seinfeld too much, but when Elaine Bennis is describing it, she's describing it to a waitress and she's like, and those sex scenes, I mean, come on, give me something I can use. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's funny. This is a, this is a movie that I am opposite on Jeremy about. I actually, yeah, I actually really do like the English patient. And I remember watching this movie with my brother and um, I remember the scene where the plane crashes, which is all, always shown as, you know, Walter Murch's editing uh, skills basically is, you know, that's what won him the Oscar. Um, that plane crashes. I remember him ter- turning to me in the theater and going, this movie is awesome. <laughs> and um, and uh, I was like, yeah, I agree. But, you know, I can't fault Jeremy for anything that he said because the movie is super long and it and it and it takes that tangent where it's like Juliet Binoche and, yeah. um, and uh, Naveen Andrews are having that little romance uh, thing in there, in there. And it's just like, I, d- I mean, we're hearing the story of a man on his deathbed or whatever. Can we just not go through all of that and go through all this for real? You know, and it's uh, and, you know, they're they go off and, and there's what is she's like swinging around in the house and all this other type of stuff. Um, it's just, you know, there's a lot of things in it that, you know, I would have cut out myself, but I do remember really liking it. That's just, it's one of those, when I started thinking about this topic, getting ready, that was the, that was the one that was number one on my list I wanted to talk about just because critically, like it, it is the definition of what you're talking about. Critics loved this movie. They gave it all the awards they could. And I don't know what the audience score is. I should look it up, but, um, my audience score was not good. Yeah. What, what, what Oscars did it win? It won best picture. It, uh, right. and, and it, I mean, that was one of the, that was the big one. It won best picture, but it was the year where you had, uh, it was Fargo that it beat and, um, Fargo, I, I was rooting for Fargo to win that yeah, year. Of course. Um, but it was, it was a lot of independent movies like shine, uh, was one of them. And, uh, can't remember the other couple, but it was the year, it was the year of the independent movie. And the only one that ended up not being independent was English patient, which started off as Miramax. And then I think it ended up being Fox or something like that by the time it was over. For the record, uh, it won best picture, best supporting actress, best art direction, best cinematography, best costume design, best director, best film editing, best original score, best sound mixing. Yeah, it was it was basically destined to sweep. Jerry Maguire was another one that was nominated. That was the one that was the big one. Sony was the only big studio in that whole group. Um, But I remember Jerry Maguire being nominated as well in that. Um, That was just such a weird year. It was such a weird year. And so they went for the big uh, traditional epic, even though, yeah, it is three hours of adultery. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But um, Barrett, do you have do you have a movie? Yes, I do. I've got one that uh, is it was actually really, really critically acclaimed, which is bizarre for a superhero movie and for a sequel. Uh, but it's Spider-Man Two. Oh, oh my God! You're, you're gonna get some. Op- you're definitely gonna get opposition on this one. Uh, I agree. I knew it, and uh, I'm gonna get uh, opposition from the listeners uh, too. But 
I'm not saying necessarily that it's a bad movie, okay. but I think it's it's overrated relative to what how people are framing it. Specifically, and in, in, I've gone back and I've watched it. It's one of those movies that I really want to like. I think we've talked about it a little bit before of like, maybe if I give it another shot, like it's really going to kick in this time. And it's certainly not bad in, re, you know, in relation to like Spider-Man 3, which I absolutely hate. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, the second one bothers me. Here's, here's the main thing that really kills me. The thing that gets praised the most about this movie is Alfred Molina's performance, right? Right. As, as uh, Doc Ock. And there's just so many moments in there that are just absurd to me about that performance. The The overall uh, thing that bothers me is that he goes from really good and really pleasant to struggling with becoming evil to super fucking evil. <laughs> To like all of the evil and not just all of the evil, just a Spider-Man like like he's he's like dick evil, like like the, the train scene. What is the purpose of the train scene to to cause mayhem? It's not to specifically kill Spider-Man. It's actually just to like fuck with a bunch of New Yorkers. Right. <laughs> he goes in, he rips off the, the throttle and he hands it to he hands it to Spider-Man as he's leaving through one of his mechanical arms. He's like, here you go, man. And then pieces out. And then, you know, off goes the train and he's just being a dick. Like He's not being like a, you know, a, any sort of master plan on that. But it's it's little Alfred Molina, which I who I love as an actor in general. Uh, I'll give you one more example of, of his performance. Like he'll literally in in that famous scene, in that famous scene where uh, he comes in and throws the car into the, the cafe. When uh, <laughs> Parker and Mary Jane are having, you know, lunch and reconciling and stuff like that. He throws the car and it was in the trailer and said slow motion. It's a gorgeous shot and everything. Mm-hmm. After he goes through all that mayhem and says, I need you to get Spider-Man and meet me on the clock tower at 3.30, that kind of thing. He's holding uh, Peter Parker up with one of his mechanical arms. And he literally uses one of his mechanical arms to take off his sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he's kind of like a hand free as he's like pointing and gesturing to uh, Tobey Maguire. But he uses this and then he uses his regular hands to put them back on. I think it's funny that that's what bothers you about that scene because like he could have killed yeah. them with that fucking that's, car. Yeah. No kidding. And he should have killed Toby Maguire or Peter Parker in that scene, throwing him up against the wall after requesting that he uh, get Spider-Man to, right. uh, to meet him. He kills Peter Parker. He, he ragdolls him. him. Yeah, exactly. He's under a pile of rubble. It's, it's uh, funny that, you know, it's funny because I, I, I still hold Spider-Man two up as one of the best comic book movies that have been made, but, um, but when we send that movie, there are all a lot of the things that you just brought up, brought up a bunch of memories about certain things in the movie that just, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, just like a little bit, you know, you know, especially the train scene where he's throwing people individually off one by one. And, <laughs> and then he just decides that's enough. Yeah. He, he throws two off. Yeah. And then he's like, well, I guess he solved that problem. And he moves on to like, you know, ripping off the throttle. Yeah. Basically he rips off Skynet and only sends one person and, you know, 
and it's like it's just come on can you just can you make it harder for the superhero to succeed in this and uh, and like yeah that you know, jeremy brought up the part about the car that always bothers me it's like he throws the car in there he could have killed the people he needs but you know never mind it's just a cool shot it it's great awesome <laughs> yeah exactly but do you know the the thing about uh, him uh being super evil and everything this is something that these marvel movies do ad nauseum you have this scientist who's on the verge of something and he has to do it fast or else you know he loses his funding or whatever and it's like then he just i'll just put myself in the machine and you know and yeah. uh, and i and i and I, I have grown weary of that yeah and, oh, then, yeah. He, and then he turns back good at the very last minute because peter parker asks him nicely <laughs> well that is a theme through all the movies right like like all the Spider-Man movies, like they all have a villain who for at least a um, glimmer at the end, like realizes how evil they've become and has a change of heart. The third one has the Sandman who's yeah. not entirely yeah. bad. And then even uh, Harry's dad was like, don't tell Harry. Like he's sort of realized, you know, like, or whatever he says right there before he dies. <laughs> Um, uh, another one that is in the, in a big popular um, uh, entertainment that got, I believe 81% on Rotten Tomatoes is Furious 7. Mm-hmm. Um, Furious 7, I, I really do believe that the last few Fast and the Furious movies, um, the critics have just basically thrown their hands up in the air and said, I don't know how to, I don't know how to hate this movie anymore. We and give up. we give up, we like them now. Um, the problem I've always had with these movies is not that it's got ridiculous action in it. Um, I like ridiculous action, um, but they have taken out the concept of death or the possibility of death um, in these movies. And there's people crashing cars through windows. You know, you know, the thing is, uh, windows are really, really strong, guys. I mean, <laughs> like you smash through one of those, there's a really good chance you ain't coming back from it. And, <laughs> and like people like, you know, they, there's always like people smashing through windows and stuff, you know, and then of course, Furious seven, you know, decides we're going to smash not only through uh, one window and another window into another building that's 50 stories high or whatever stories it is. We're going to smash through another window and another window of another building, you know, that's that high or whatever. And, and there's just never any chance of them dying. I, and, and we said this, we said this in the sins video, like um, when the car, uh, actually finally falls to earth and smashes and everything. If those people were in it, they would have lived. There was a, they would have been a fa- they would have found a way to live through that because that's the way those movies are. Well, yeah. uh, it's almost, it's almost like, it's almost like an insult to me when they show the car actually crashing to earth and they're not in it because you've shown us so many other times where especially earlier in the movie where Vin Diesel is like, decides he's going to run off the mountain and fall down the whole mountain and not and and live from that. I mean, it's almost an insult. It's like, well, thank God they weren't in the car that time. <laughs> well, and they even try at the end of the damn movie to make you think Vin Diesel died uh, with a fake out, right? Where she has to remember and that somehow brings him back to life or whatever. But <laughs> it's like, I always hold this movie this is a perfect year for this because you've got Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Furious 7 that both 
try to do, in my opinion, the same kind of thing in terms of ridiculous action. And one succeeds enormously, and the other is just, it's like, it's like that song on the radio that you don't like when you hear it first, but after you've heard it ad nauseum, you can't help but sing along to it. <laughs> yes. It's, and not to mention that, you know, there's an element of realism with Mission Impossible just because Tom Cruise is insane and he's willing to do all this crazy, he really does a lot of this stuff. Right. Um, so that's, I think that's my main bone to pick with those movies. And, and it's really just, it's really the only re reason I don't like them very much is they have up the ante on these stunts and everything. And they actually do most of these stunts, which is commendable, but it's also still ridiculous. I don't care if they survived it or did anything real or whatever. Um, I can handle a lot of this stuff. It's just that, man, every single time they just, you know, whatever, it, whatever you throw out there, you know, the, the thing about movies that I always argued before we ever did Sims videos and stuff is, you know, when people would always say, well, that's incredible. That's a, you can't, that can't happen. And that's a lot of serendipitous things to happen all at once to, you know, whatever. Um, I think I can, I can take that for one movie, one story, but this is now seven movies that they've done, you know, un unbelievably, actually, since they started doing the heist, heist movies more than the racing movies or whatever, uh, they've done it for four movies now where they've like two hours filled with un, unsurvivable stunts. And, and now I can't, you know, it's just, it's too much. So they're raising the stunts and eliminating the stakes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do you guys have any others that you? Oh, and I have like 15. I'm just going to. I mean, okay. I got a lot. I'm Go not going to talk about all of them, but. Um, sure. <clears throat> here's another one that is kind of recent. Uh, American Hustle. Mm, mm, good uh, one. Good one. And now I think the audience was a little more mixed like me. But the critics loved it, and it was nominated for a lot of awards, and I like all the people in it, um, but I, it just does nothing for me. Like, I am completely unmoved by this story, and it may just be because everyone looks so terrible, except for, like, one or two people. But, like, Christian Bale's uncomfortable to watch in this movie. Yeah, that's a movie that's really... Um yeah, I, I'm 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 kind of with you on that. I think I may have liked it a, bit, a little bit better than you did, but um, but it yeah, I know what you mean. It's 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 a movie that's not nearly as great as it's being sent up to be. Um, it's almost like because everybody got on that David O. Russell train with right. Silver Linings Playbook that they gave this one even more of a, of a boost. Well, so and the fighter right before that too, right? Right. The fighter before that. It's got that ensemble cachet too, right? Uh, having all these, these uh, like we were talking about with Paul Thomas Anderson, like all these amazing talents in one uh, centralized location that they can, uh, they can kind of show off for each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an acting showpiece and I don't even know if anybody's acting performance is bad. I just, it's, it's something about the movie that just, just never pulls me in. It, it, it keeps me at bay. I will say, though, the one scene with Bradley Cooper making fun of Louis C.K. makes me laugh <laughs> you know, a, a lot just because of how he's he's just he completely just just, just uh, destroying him on that. Of course, it's set up just before, you know, it's something where it sets up just before that where Bradley Cooper gets his comeuppance. But um, I love the way he's mocking Louis C.K.'s character in that. But, uh, yeah, American Hustle is, an is another one that I, I've, I've heard other people say that, too. It's just like, it's, there's something about it. We can't write, quite put my finger on it. Barrett, you got another one? 
Yeah, I got one that's pretty recent too that we touched on a little bit before, uh, Django Unchained. Ooh, good one. Again, this is something that I wouldn't say out of hand is a bad movie, but I didn't like it hardly at all. Like there was a, just a few parts that I actually really liked. The dialogue, Leo's performance is great. Christoph Waltz is great. But the dialogue overall is not doing it for me. The ultraviolence, uh, the racial insensitivity that they're almost like wallowing in uh, is not good. And it's really, really long. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like English patient long. And it's it's too long. Uh, to It looks like to fit in just an ill-advised cameo from Quentin Tarantino. Uh, there's there's a very definitive end point to that movie, and then you look back on it 45 minutes later, and you're like, hey, wow, that would have been awesome if it ended right there. Um, yeah, Django Unchained is a movie that um, I remember when it was out. Uh, some of the younger um, uh, workers at the movie theater that I worked with thought this this was Tarantino's best movie. What? And I, I, I was like, you know, I was struggling to understand why that was the case. And, and, you know, it, it might just be the fact that it's a revenge tale. It's a, it, it's a slave who got revenge. And that's, you know, that's the ultimate, you know, reason why people like it so much. It's like, yeah, yeah. We, we taught them slave owners. Yeah. We, we get it, Quentin though. Right. We, we get that you like black exploitation and we, you like spaghetti Westerns and that kind of thing. But there's a reason that they're not made much anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I I didn't hate that movie. I didn't love that movie. It's it's one of those in Quentin's resume that's just there for me. I don't feel myself compelled to go back to it. I, I have a, a, a tangent, by the way, about Django Unchained. Um, uh, Django Unchained for me will always be the movie in which this woman came out and fainted six or seven times in front of me. Um, I was, um, I, uh, and it wasn't because of the movie. Uh, she was going to the bathroom. See, and, and of course this always happens towards the end of your shift. It never happens, uh, like, you know, at two o'clock or something like that. Um, but I'm, I'm like making one last little walkthrough, uh, of the movie theater, uh, as an usher manager or whatever. And um, and out of the theater for Django Unchained, this woman comes out and she's going to the bathroom and there's nobody else uh, around. And um, and uh, she starts talking to me and then she faints and falls straight to the ground, head hitting hard, all this other type of stuff. And I was like, holy crap. And so, like, I call over the radio and tell the guy at customer service to call 911 and all this other stuff. Um, but she keeps trying to get up. She keeps getting up. Uh, and then like, she'll, she'll walk a couple of steps and then suddenly just completely frozen falls down to the ground. And she was getting into the bathroom and like, there's a trash can that was inside on the corner of it. And she was like dangerously close to that and falling and hitting her head on that. And like, I, she kept doing it. And like, I'm sitting there like nobody else is coming out. And I'm like, you know, I'm telling the I'm telling the guy uh, customer service to dial nine one one. Hardly anybody else comes out and witnesses this, and it's almost like this. Just like when I tell this story, it feels like it didn't happen because <laughs> because nobody nobody was there to witness it for me and everything. So I look like a crazy person a lot of times. And like the 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 woman when she finally comes to enough to get into the bathroom and everything, she's like. She's like, uh, can I go back into the to the theater? And I was like, no, you can't. 
can't do it. No. No. Hell no. Um, and uh, she's like, well, could you tell my husband that I'm, I'm out here? And I was like, okay. And I went in there and I found him and, and he comes out and he's all pissed off and everything and, and like making weird accusations. Like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Like I was, you know, like anybody was supposed to know that he was the husband out of 200 people and, um, uh, all this stuff. And like, so then the ambulance shows up and they decide not to use it. They just, they just, the guy is like so pissed off. Apparently, I mean, the girl, either the girl's never like told her husband about this or, uh, you know, about her condition or whatever it is that she's doing. I don't, who knows? But, you know, I, I was really racked with like, what was the right thing to do in that situation? Should I have, <laughs> should I have let her back in the movie theater with her husband while she's like falling down and stuff, you know, uh, you know, and oh my God, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And nobody was, like I said, nobody was around to witness well, it. Since it wasn't real, you don't have to worry about it. Exactly. Since it yeah. wasn't real, I can just uh, do this podcast knowing that and uh, not have to go and seek mental uh, professionals. I think and, we should keep that story in this podcast as evidence that we should do a whole podcast down the road of movie theater stories. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we, we might even want to save it for uh, for a later time if you want to but no, that's uh, a teaser baby yeah, yeah. Teaser. uh anyway um jeremy do you have another one? go ahead oh yeah um, i'll go all day um <clears throat> i do have one that doesn't qualify for this discussion but somebody asked a question about it so i'm going to sneak it in at the end when we do questions all right um, <clears throat> here's another one that was critically acclaimed that i don't get and it's uh atonement oh yeah that's a good, really good one and again, I think the actors in it are good. I think the performances are good. I don't know why anyone would want to watch this story. It's a very disturbing, like uncomfortable, dark story that it is not romantic. Or, I mean, I guess somebody sees romance in it somewhere, but like, it's just depressing. It's like, hey, go feel bad for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that dress, though, that, that dress, though, that was, you know what? That's the thing about uh, movies like that is there's always those those one that one thing that somebody holds on to. And it's like Kira Knightley's dress. That was amazing. <laughs> Let's call the whole movie good because of that. You know, <laughs> I mean, have, if you haven't seen it, you know, I don't want to be a spoiler or anything, but there's some really uncomfortable young person sex stuff that happens. And, <laughs> and then people get old and struggle to cope with it. <laughs> Young person sex stuff. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, Barrett, what you got another one? Jesus Christ. Uh, what are you going to follow that with? Okay, I've got. <laughs> do you want one that uh, is probably an unpopular opinion or one that's pretty solid? You've got an unpopular opinion all day. You might as well put the hammer down and keep going. The hangover. Ooh, the hangover. Ooh. The hangover. Okay. Okay. I Go went for through it. At first, the first time that I watched The Hangover, and probably ever since. Unless I was severely drunk, I did not laugh once. Hmm. I, it was just all right. So there, there were some mitigating circumstances. I'm, it was another one where I saw it fairly late in the game and was told over and over and over about how amazingly funny this movie was. Mm -hmm. But to me, it was just a, another pedantic Vegas amnesia story with a little bit of Todd Phillips thrown into it and brilliant actors it's the opposite of the Alfred Molina thing. I think the performances were terrific all around, but I just thought conceptually it was just like tired jokes and just like, 
okay, we get it. All right. You, you did some crazy shit last night. Let's piece this all together and everything. And it wasn't new and it wasn't inventive, especially in the way that it was uh, kind of presented uh, to the American public of like, oh man, this is innovative. This is something that'll really hit you, you know, uh, out of the blue. And it did none of that. for me. And they made three of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and don't even get started on on the diminishing returns from the sequels. Obviously, where they just copy the same. Fucking yeah, I will say the hang. I will say the Hangover is overrated for sure. Um, I, but there are some moments that I, I now I did laugh in this movie several times. Um, especially like Bradley Cooper doing some things in this that just it, it, it always surprises me. Uh, I love the part where they're looking at the videotape of them stealing the tiger out of Mike Tyson's mansion. And, uh, and there's a point where Cooper turns to Tyson. He's like, you know what? These creatures are so majestic and everything. And then they go over to the video and Bradley Cooper's like, I'm going to fuck this tiger. (laughs) He's sitting there like, and, and it's so funny to me because it's, you know, they're so drunk and they have no idea how much danger they're in. And everything, and there's just this crazy stuff. And there's that scene during the, uh, you know, when Zach Galifianakis is basically playing Rain Man. Um, you know, he's doing all these these things, and like, there's the part where the, you know, there's all this this cutting and editing and everything, and there's a there's that lone shot of Bradley Cooper flipping off the camera, <laughs> and it's just so audacious to me that he does that, and it's funny to me every time. But uh, I got totally understand what you're saying about that movie. Yeah, it's not a movie that I enjoyed as much the second time I saw it as I did the first, um, and I wouldn't say I loved it. I laughed plenty, but it's not. I mean, having come just well, I don't know ten, eleven months after Tropic Thunder. Um, <clears throat> It was it was it was not as funny as that for me at all. Like I roared through that whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah for that sure. Terrific. Um, okay, so here's one. Have you guys seen Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you haven't seen. Okay, Barrett, you have. Yeah. Uh, do you do you like Pan's Labyrinth? I like Pan's Labyrinth. I didn't love it, and I agree with you if you're saying that it's wildly overrated. Well, yeah, um, I actually watched it this morning just to sort of, you know, I guess at the expense of possibly uh, liking it and then not having a, a movie to talk about. But it's a good, it's a good morning movie. Spanish Civil War, <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, fascism, and uh, yeah. Um, uh, but I, I watched it again uh, just to just to go back over the movies. Ten years old now. That's hard to believe. Um, but uh, I, I was trying to put my finger on why I didn't like this movie as much as everybody else did. And the critics, I believe, Rotten Tomatoes. That was ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and uh, you know, when you see the you know the the people percentage, it's ninety one percent of people. Yeah, it sounds about right. And yeah. and um, so that movie for me is well made. It's gorgeous. It actually won cinematography and production design and makeup and all that, uh, which it deserved because it is that kind of a movie and everything. But uh, there's one little picadillo I have with these type of movies, and it's and it's the same as with Just Plain Labyrinth, um, where. The fantasy and the reality, you have to, you, you sort of interpret it as whatever. A fairy tale is always like a, a sort of a symbol for growing up is what it basically is and everything. But uh, we don't, you know, it's, what is the difference between the fantasy and the reality? Does it matter? 
Um, you know, there's that scene where he, she puts a mandrake root underneath, uh, her mom's bed, like in a, in a bowl of milk or something. And that starts making her better for some reason. Um, and then like, uh, but the, the, the main, and then, you know, there's a, there's a scene where the, the, you know, the, the captain, the guy who plays the captain is really great. Uh, uh, Sergi Lopez is his name. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's actually a really good villain in this movie, but there's a point where he finds the mandrake under the, under the bed and he gets pissed off at it for no reason, throws it, you know, they, you know, you know, the, the mom that gets the mandrake root and throws it in the fire and like, you know, what would, you know, if there's no harm in whatever she was doing, but they overreact to it. And, uh, but the main thing about Pan's Labyrinth is that it seems like she's making up, you know, she's making up all this stuff that's happening in her head. She's being very imaginative and everything like that, but she keeps breaking the rules in these, in this, in this thing. And like, and like somehow that, and and somehow is allowed more chances to do stuff. You know, it's one of those movies that's not really all about her imagination and everything. It's also about the, this, you know, this struggle that the freedom fighters are having and yeah, all that. That's what gets kind of uh, lost in the shuffle is that, you know, people focus on the fantastic characters and, and that kind of thing. And of course the, the guy with the, the eyes in his hands, but right. yeah, it's actually a, a political commentary as much as anything. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it's, I mean, I have no problem with how well made it is and how, how, you know, what it's got, it's got more things going on than what's on the surface. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just had a problem with some of the, the fantastical elements and, and like how she keeps breaking rules and then she's given another chance and yeah. all other type of stuff. I, I hate it when, I hate it when movies set up rules and then even though they break them, they, they're allowed to continue or whatever. Del Toro get, kind of gets a pass on that visual style over substance even though there was substance in Pan's Labyrinth, but like Crimson Peak, was that a yeah. decent movie? I, I didn't actually see it. I haven't seen it yet, but um, and and I think that is the same sort of deal. I was about to say that Guillermo del, del Guillermo del Toro <laughs> uh, does get a lot of passes uh, for whatever reason. Um, I remember, and I said this when we were on that Schmozno podcast or whatever, was that. Uh, the ori- like the original time I remember him getting praised was the movie Mimic, and the movie that oh, movie yeah. is not good at all. Mira no. Sorvino, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's not a good movie at all. I remember watching it like eh, whatever, and um, and then I saw the Siskel and Ebert review of it, and they just were all over it like it's something great. And then everything that he's come out with since has had that sort of that level of like expectation from, from critics and everything. And he's get, he gets like a lot of just like people falling all over themselves to, to say that it's great. And everything that I've seen has been almost like Tim Burton movies where, um, you know, obviously the guy has wealth of talent. He's, he's amazing. Like, uh, you know, a visual storyteller, uh, but a lot of times the script seems to suffer or something like that, you know, seems to suffer. I, and, and, you know, maybe Pan's Labyrinth is not the best movie to bring. I don't hate that movie by any means, but uh, I, I, I was shocked at how universally beloved it was considering, you know, what was going on in it. But, um, but he like, yeah, like Pacific Rim was one of those movies. Just, you know, what's uh, that movie just seemed like it, um, it it was aiming for something, but it just it it failed for me. Jeremy, what do you think of Pacific Rim? Pacific Rim was eh, B. 
I had a d- decent level of fun with some of the action. The story was pretty bland for me. I didn't think the performances were all that great. Can we do another round? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I got plenty. Um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take pull a Barrett here and go against the public opinion and take a bunch of hate for this, but I can't not say this movie because when I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, it really did get good reviews. It's well into the eighty percent. Um, and that's Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Ooh, good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I need to be clear. I don't hate the movie. Um, these Marvel movies have begun to frustrate me. And this one is the best explanation uh, or the best example of why if they frustrate me. Because I, I think if I read the script, I would have loved it. Um, but the, the universe has become very sterile for me. Very... It's almost like the difference between seeing the, a model on the cover of a magazine or seeing that same model in real life. Um, it feels artificial to me, and it doesn't. The action scenes don't feel earned. Does that make sense? That's Absolutely. very artificial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I had the exact same reaction as you did, and I remember doing the sins video. And uh, I was actually surprised that when, you know, I was the combiner on the script on that one. Um, I was actually surprised how equally we wrote with, you know, wrote so many things about it. And I remember finishing up the script, which I think ended up being at like 170 something or whatever. Um, and you wrote back to me and you were like, you know, this movie's beloved, right? And I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, I know. But I mean, we both didn't like this movie at all. Yeah. And, and I, I think we had to be fair to ourselves on that. We couldn't just cut stuff just to cut it. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was just, and that's the way I felt about that movie the entire time. And I don't understand why people, that's a really good one. I, and actually I should have thought about that one myself. Um, but yeah, I can't understand anyway. why people, everybody loved it either. Well, and what's weird to me is that the, there seems to be a certain portion of superhero or Marvel fans that have decided to call this like the apex of superhero cinema. Like this is the best, like everybody's super pumped that the Russo brothers are doing civil war. Um, and the next two Avengers movies, except me. And I don't have anything against the Russo brothers. I just, if I'm going to get more of winter soldier, I'm not, I'm just going to get less and less interested. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, man, I, (laughs) I don't know what to get into with that movie really either. There's so many places where this goes off the rails for me. Uh, especially, uh, that one part where they're, where they're saying that the, the Toby Jones character went off and found, uh, the Bucky character, uh, at the bottom of the cliff or whatever. And, and he was on the train in the first movie. Toby Jones' character was on the train in the first movie. Then they, you know, they took him. Tommy Lee Jones went and, and investigate, you know, interrogated him and all that other type of stuff. And I guess we're supposed to believe that after that, they just let him go. And he, you know, he went off and, uh, you know, he went off to that. He's like, I remember when that guy was thrown off the mountain. Let's make him into a super soldier. You know, yeah. um, it, it never made any sense to me. And uh, and and all that, you know, that whole, you know, them going to the that little bunker or whatever and seeing the computer, Toby Jones or whatever. And uh, they've got missiles headed their way and all this other type of stuff. I'm just, I just, uh, I just got, I got drowned in all that nonsense. That was oh, yeah, movie. yeah. And it's, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. And, and I'm not out to get anybody that loves that movie. I don't have any beef with you. It's just, I don't share that opinion. Yeah, exactly. All right. Hit us again, somebody. Okay. This is uh, from one of my favorite directors, actually. But 
I have never liked the movie and it actually has an even higher score than I anticipated. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes and 90 for audience score. It's Slumdog Millionaire. Ooh. Uh, oh. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. Off, uh, yeah. I have to quite, I love India. I love, actually, I love Bollywood films <laughs> and I love uh, Danny Boyle and I like everybody involved. Uh, the movie itself, we were talking earlier about like filling you with dread. For some reason, this movie fills me with dread. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I know it's supposed to be an overall positive message and everything, but like I just felt depressed as hell as after watching this thing. And the performances are fine. The direction is beautiful. The colors, the but there's just something about this movie that just bothers me. I think it started from the first uh, bit of the movie where the kid falls in the bottom of a latrine and just like. You know, I know he's searching for his card and everything and triumphantly as he's covered in shit, like, you know, uh, raises it up and says, oh, I did it. But anyway, I I don't get why that movie get, got what it got. Wasn't it based on a book? I don't know. Okay. Well, whether it was or not, it's just, it's one of those, it's one of those things that it's just, there's, it's too unbelievable. The entire premise of the whole movie is too unbelievable for me to ever get on board. And it broadcasts it's what it's going to happen from moment one. Yeah. And it's just ludicrous. It's like if you made a movie about a guy who in one day, won the lottery, banged a model, and somebody donated like a sports car to him. The end. Like, it's just like, watch the luckiest guy ever. It's, yeah, there's it's, no drama to it. It's basically Ethan Embry in Vegas vacation. That's what <laughs> happens with, with this guy uh, in that. I was um, thinking Richard Pryor and Brewster's Millions. Oh, actually. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to go another one that the critics actually gave uh, mostly a pass to, and that uh, was for a while the biggest movie of 2015, uh, Jurassic World. Yeah, and, what the hell are they thinking? Yeah, I have no idea. Jurassic World, I think, is about a 72 percent or something in critics, and and then it made 650 million dollars despite my protestations. Um, uh, <laughs> I, the movie, and, and this is sort of one. This was sort of a theme of this year with uh, movies that came back. Star Wars did it too, and sort of gave it a pass. The Force Awakens, but uh, Jurassic World is Jurassic Park again, and yeah. and it's just bigger and dumber this time. Yeah, and um, and uh, and you know, there's and unlike the last one. Where even that movie was was you know uh, critics who pointed at you know the well, the human characters aren't that great in Jurassic Park they're not nearly as good as the ones that were in Jaws well you look back at Jurassic Park and you're like oh well I, I kind of care if Ellie Sattler dies I kind of care if Alan Grant dies yeah. Yeah. These people, I don't care at all. None. If they yeah. got shredded, I would have been like, well, good for the dinosaurs. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, does it make you miss Stan Winston too? Um, oh, absolutely, for sure. I mean, there's a guy who who perfected those things, uh, and we're still amazed at how those effects uh, in Jurassic Park, you know, took off. And now, and they still haven't been able to really match it, right? Um, but yeah, Jurassic World is just a big, uh, just it's a bigger, dumber Jurassic Park, and everybody went to go eat it up. And I think it's because you know they. They made they basically you know out of out of thin air created the T Rex slash Raptor hybrid thing and <laughs> they do a lot of stupid stuff to let that thing go free. It's it ah oh my god there's no way 
that would happen. I mean, no way. No, and I don't care how stupid people can be. That would never happen. You know, um, if you're going to do more Jurassic Park movies, go back and do the the books as written because they they made so many wholesale changes to the first two. Um, they're they're not even this. I read the first two books. I don't know if you guys did, but they're I did. Yeah, not remotely similar. Uh, in almost any way, and I would rather embrace that if you're going to reboot something or whatever, but just don't give me the same story with different people and less attention paid to detail. Is it the Lost World? The book has that dinosaur that, that blends in with its... Yeah, uh, chameleon-like. Yeah, yeah, and they still haven't done that. They've, I think they've hinted at it maybe a couple of times, but it's never been... like. I mean, they kind of hint at it in Jurassic World, which it, they never return to it. Like the, the the dinosaur completely vanishes in its cage, and then they go in there looking after it and everything. You know, it's just so dumb. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but like uh, they they sort of they sort of hint at it, but then that never happens again. It never like you know uh, completely hides like a chameleon would anymore after that, because it's only just it's, a, it's just nothing but a remorseless eaten machine after that. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so, yeah, they, they, that, that lost world, uh, book, uh, thing with that in it, I've always wanted to see that and they still haven't done it. All right. Well, um, I think we probably have time for one more. Who wants to go? Who's itching? Go for mm-hmm. it, Barrett. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to play it safe on this one because uh, I think there's a, a good amount of healthy feedback over the years. Uh, it's it's very similar in my mind, and I, maybe it's just a Fines thing uh, of the English patient, but it's Shakespeare in Love. Oh yeah, really good, list. really good one. Yeah, <laughs> it won all the awards. It won for Best Picture, didn't it? Uh, yeah. It was, uh, well, no, it, it didn't. It didn't win. Every, it was the it was a split year because Spielberg won for Saving Private Ryan, and then Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture. Right. 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 Yeah, and it, it's a comedy. I mean, it really, I guess, boils down to it. But just the the amount of love that was heaped on this movie uh, was just kind of absurd to me at the time and uh, has kind of compounded over time. You it guys think the same thing? Yeah, it basically comes down to whether or not you are well-versed on your Shakespeare famous uh, lines and situations. Um, yeah. And and. Uh, but yeah, it, it's another one where your enjoyment of the movie a lot of times depends on, you know, like, oh, oh, that was that was the Hamlet line. Oh, that was, you know, it, it's like, yeah, here's a bunch of Shakespeare old, yeah, references. Exactly, it's great. Exactly. Yeah. Have your Cliff's notes with you. That was that odd year. Uh, you know, you had you had three World War Two movies got nominated for Best Picture. Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line, Life is Beautiful all came out. And then you had the two Elizabethan era movies got nominated, Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love. Question. I have a question. Just one more thing. I want the truth. I know more than you. Jeremy, do you have any questions for us? I've got a couple. And one is just an excuse for me to talk about a movie I hated that I couldn't quite put in the last discussion. Um, Somebody asks, uh, what are your thoughts on The Good Dinosaur? Um, Uh, I have not seen this yet. Have you seen it, Barrett? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, then allow me to take the floor. Um, On Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 76 critic, 68 audience. Uh, The audience is closer to right. I'd give it like a 40. Um, I will say, uh, in the movie's defense, it is one of the most gorgeous 
uh, Pixar movies ever. There are shots in here that if I wasn't so angry at the movie by this point, would have dropped my jaw. Um, but these movies take a long time to make, like years, right? That's How did you not, at some point along the way, realize you were making The Lion King with dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> this movie is The Lion King with dinosaurs, and you will see so many parallels once you watch it in that way, you will not be able to unsee it. Um, down to the father dying, being washed away by water instead of, you know, buffalo or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Appearing to the kid at the end in, in a vision to encourage and inspire him. Um, I was so upset at this movie uh, that I really wanted to like um, that I'm going to I'm going to go out and make disciples. I'm going to tell other people to hate this movie. I will say that. The, I haven't seen it, but it did seem like a Pixar movie that they were just kind of brushing under the rug a little bit. Well, they uh, recast it like six months before release. Oh, really? I didn't even know about that. Yeah, um, they recast all the voices. Uh, and it just it felt like because it felt like they were dumping it. Because remember, Pixar usually comes out with a big tentpole movie a year, once once a year. Yeah, and uh, they came out with Inside Out over the summer and that was their big movie. And then suddenly there's this other one and you don't, you didn't see very many trailers for it and it wasn't very prominent and, and they didn't seem like they were proud of it. And they said, well, let's dump it on Thanksgiving and see if people come see it anyway. And that's exactly, yeah, that's what, what I was going to say. Like I, I am the prime demographic for advertising for this. I've got an eight year old son. I, I barely heard anything about this and, and I would have heard it because he would have told me about it every day. Like he did inside out for the preceding three months before we saw it. So I, yeah, I heard barely anything about it. So well, it's a weird marketing strategy. It completely wastes a really good premise. Like the, the opening shot of the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs actually misses earth and the dinosaurs shrug at it and go back to life. What would life be like with <laughs> dinosaurs and humans on the same planet? And what they give us is a feral child who grunts and he hangs out with the dinosaur for a little bit. But there's like, they don't explore that at all, except that the dinosaurs fucking farm corn and shit. But um, God, the movie was so disappointing to me. I was, I'm actively going to try and encourage people to hate it. And this is something also, we'll probably have to have a topic one day about how Pixar has started to fall off since Disney officially made them, you know, bought them back out into the company and put... John Lasseter at the head of the animation department and all that, um, where, you know, they, it seems like all the good stuff is going towards Disney animation now and all the other stuff is going towards Pixar. Well, and Disney animation's killing it, right? I mean, yeah. I didn't love Frozen, but if you count Frozen and uh, Wreck-It Ralph and Big Hero 6 and now apparently Zootopia is a home run, um, they're beating Pixar's ass lately. Yeah, and those are movies that yeah. usually normally would have been Pixar movies. And and now they're they're the Disney animation and it's almost like somebody's out with a grudge on that, you know, right. like you know, well Pixar was up staging us all this time. Now let's just make them come out with stupid sequels and like horrible original movies. Inside Out was good though. Um yeah. it but oh, yeah. it, it it, but it was, you know, that all the other stuff they're coming out. I don't even think this Finding Dory is going to be good. I think Inside Out was terrific, actually. No, it was a return to form. But there was a point where they were, you know, the, they were coming out with stuff that was just amazing. The Ratatouille, Wally, Incredibles. Up, oh, the Prime, yeah. Up yeah, era was the best, mm -hmm. and they, and when Up, I thought they had just they had turned another corner. Like they were already good, and then they just. 
they uh, they with up it seemed like they were going in an even an even higher direction, and then like that whole thing with Disney happened. And then suddenly it was like, well, they've been commissioned to make Toy Story 3 and Monsters 2 and Cars 2 and all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. maybe another topic for another time. Maybe we said what we need to say about it. This one seems kind of fun to me. Um, if you had the power to keep one intellectual property from being remade or get another sequel, uh, basically erase it from existence or stop it, what would you choose? Hmm. And I'm going to, I'll start off while you guys ponder because I'm going to go with something that was just confirmed yesterday to be a real thing. And that's the Men in Black 23 Jump Street crossover film. Hmm. They okay. Have, they have hired a guy who wrote um, Edge of Tomorrow, which I read last night online. Doug Lyman apparently threw out two thirds of the script and rewrote it. Okay. <laughs> um, and he's going to write a movie that will cross over the Men in Black and 21 Jump Street universes. And I just want to say, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Yeah, it seems like a sort of, um, um, you know, you're almost, you've already kind of ruined Men in Black as it is, but you're ruining the sort of the momentum of Jump Street. But I, I imagine Jump Street basically overtakes Men in Black in in as far as style is concerned in a movie like that, right? I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's, the reason it bothers me is that it's a stunt. It's yeah. a it's a stunt. It's not a movie. This is not what movies should be about. It's you're going to get butts in the seats out of pure stuntness and curiosity. And I don't I, it really rubs me the wrong way. And I think it's such a weird combination. Well, it is. It is a weird combination, and I don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna do with that. But I mean, let's take this to its logical conclusion. If it succeeds, they're gonna do more of this kind of thing, and they're gonna start making Die Hard plus I don't know the attacks. The the that's the other thing is that you have not only the you know the combo thing will start happening if it's a successful movie, but you also uh, re uh, you reboot Men in Black again, basically, where you don't need to do much. You can't do much more with that, but they will come out with another standalone men in black movie because it'll be a part of that quote unquote universe. I think that's what they're doing. I think that the, the end of 22 jump street takes things to this ridiculous level, right? Yeah. With all the sequels. Yeah. And I think they're, they may see that as a franchise that's fading. Like we're not going to get those two stars back for six of these movies. So maybe we do a combo here as a way to jumpstart men in black back to life. I don't know, but it's just, it, it reeks of, non-art <laughs> <laughs> so what is the question again jeremy what what intellectual property would you try yeah. to put a freeze on so it's not remade no well either being remade or get a sequel like i almost went with 50 shades like let's just stop already why are we taking this seriously but right. uh that kind of a movie the, or if you wanted to stop the next you know the next three transformers movies they're gonna you have the power apparently according to this question to stop one piece actually, of IP from moving forward. I was thinking about this the other day. I think this is inevitable and you can play this podcast back from 10 years from now and it'll have come true. At some point they're going to reboot lost hmm. or hmm. remake lost or some sort of tangential relationship to, to lost. And it may be the lost creators themselves that end up doing it, hmm. <clears throat> but it, it's going to be rebooted or some star trekification. Uh, to Lost mm-hmm. as a series or as a concept. They're going to say to each other, this time we'll, we'll actually know what's going to happen when we start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? I don't know if I've ever thought about this. I mean, mine is going to be pretty basic uh, just because I, I haven't had much time to think about it. But, um, but 
Fantastic Four, obviously, is something that shouldn't be in Fox's hands anymore. Yeah. Uh, you had three chances, and yeah. you should just go ahead and give that back to, to Marvel and let them do whatever they want to do with it. X-Men they've done okay with, and obviously Deadpool they've done okay with. Um, uh, but Fantastic Four is, a, I mean, obviously just super failure, and, like, they just they're going to keep on trying to make one to keep the rights for it. And are we going to just keep seeing them get their powers again? Like, let's keep doing this origin story. Um, I, I mean, that movie seems like that should have made it fi- a nail in the coffin for, for Fox. Yeah. But I don't know how in the world they could make another one after this. But they will. And Absolutely. they just announced a Venom movie yesterday too. Uh, that yeah. will have Spider-Man in it. Uh, another one I thought might be fun to play with. Of course, I'm, putting you on the spot with these and you don't get time to think, but a movie that maybe was good or critically acclaimed, like the kind we were discussing earlier that you would change the director for to make it better. Well, okay. So what would this be like? Um, even a movie that was critically acclaimed that. Sure. Okay. And you would change the director anyway. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess you're starting with something maybe you didn't like as much as the critics and that you would fix it by saying, well, the director for this was all wrong. It should have been this guy. Well, I'll throw out, um, as long as I'm still involved in the discussion, um, the X-Men days of future past. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish that Matthew Vaughn had stayed on because, um, the prior one first class had like a whole new life and vibe and energy to it. Um, and I felt that was because of his directing style. Um, and and Brian Singer, I don't have anything against the guy, but his X-Men movies always give me that same Marvel kind of sterile, uh, distance kind of feel. And I feel like we went back to that. And I actually liked Days of Future Past in general as a film. Um, but I think if you swap those directors, uh, you might end up with something a little better. Obviously, this is going to be wishy-washy because we've said this before, but Edgar Wright on Ant-Man was, yeah. was another one that was for sure should have been um, – should have happened, and we've discussed the various reasons why, but that was one that uh, upset me a little bit. Um, I've always heard rumors of like Quentin Tarantino doing like a Friday the 13th movie or something mm. like that, um, uh, you know, th- that would be great if you could get somebody to that – uh, elevated level uh, doing a horror movie, then obviously it would be a better horror movie for everybody. Um, uh, there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of examples of of movies that are just, you know, well, we're just going to uh, make this movie for cheap and come out with it in August and it'll make its money and we just hope everything works out on video and crap. All right, well, that's uh, that's it for our Sincast today. Uh, just uh, go to SoundCloud and uh, give us your comments there. Uh, that'll be it for the Sincast. We do this every Monday. This is Chris Atkinson signing off with Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Cinema Sins on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Death Row is in the house. He's like, I'm going to do my thing with your daughter. And, <laughs> and uh, there's these backup singers who are all female who are all like, I'm going to do my thing with your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I just get a paycheck. I don't give, give a fuck. You've seen Above the Law, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, this is the church that they used in Above the Law. <laughs> 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 it's, so, 